You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. So grateful to be here worshiping with you, our our risen Savior, and He is risen indeed. Uh, Now we are going to continue in worship through the reading and the hearing and the preaching of God's Word. Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you can find one in the seat back in front of you. And you can find our passage on page 610. Now, if you will, open up your Bibles with me and stand as we read the word of the Lord. Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles and and to those who were with them. But these words seemed to them to be an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping, looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Pray with me. Lord, we're so grateful for your word and for your truth, and for the reality that you sent your son Jesus to rescue us. Lord, when we were sinful and broken, when we were far off, You sent your son to die on our behalf. And we believe, Lord Jesus, that you have risen. God, give us hearts of faith to hear your word this morning and believe this truth, that Christ has risen indeed. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Jonathan. There's this reoccurring dream I have that I'm in a college class and I have a notebook with a syllabus, but I keep forgetting to attend the class and I keep forgetting to read the syllabus. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've had this stupid dream and in the dream I, I feel these emotions like, Oh no, my, my stomach drops, I'm behind, and I'm thinking, okay, okay, don't flunk this thing. Jeremy, just think about this. I'm, I like to pride myself on organization, and I, I, I like to have all my stuff in the right buckets and plan my calendar. Out. So, okay, Jeremy, okay, y- you've made a big mistake, but it's okay. It's not too late. Just remember to go to class and remember to look at the syllabus, turn in your assignments. So I tell myself. And then I wake up and I think, oh, 
Didn't forget anything. Go on. True story. Once in college, I did sleep through my alarm, or I forgot to set the alarm, and I, I woke up with 30 minutes left to take a final, and I made it over with like 15 minutes to spare, did the best I could, got the final done, I passed the class, but that really happened, and I wonder if that mistake is still haunting my nervous system and my subconscious, and that's the reason I keep having this ridiculous reoccurring dream. Anyone in here crazy like me and have reoccurring dreams of forgetting stuff? Uh, no, Pastor, we're normal, thanks. Okay. <laughs> Surely you've had a something, though, in your life in which you've meant to remember something important, and then all of a sudden it hits you in the middle of the day, oh, no, oh, no, I forgot. Some of you guys are like, yep. It was my anniversary. <laughs> oh, no, I should have remembered that, and now what am I going to do? And you've experienced that, like, sweaty, palm, stomach-dropping thing that's bad news, because none of us want to forget important stuff, and we've all felt that before and wondered, now what? Now what in view of having this awful moment of forgetting? This moment, this morning... In, in our scriptures, we're going to find a couple ladies who have this kind of an experience where they forgot something really important. And as we walk through these verses during this sermon, we're going to see how similar we are to them and what we should do so that we might be the kind of people who remember this morning we are walking through Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. For those of you who are normally with us Sunday to Sunday, you might be ready to blow the whistle. The theology police were supposed to be in Luke 13, Pastor. We'll, get, we'll go back next week, I promise. But for us this morning, we are going to see Luke make two moves in these verses. Because that's the way we preach here. Whatever's happening in the scripture, that's what we want to do in the sermon. Luke's making two moves, so the sermon will have two moves. First, we're going to see that the ladies are to remember Jesus' words, and then we're going to watch them share Jesus' words. Those are the two moves in the text. So if you're taking notes, those will be the two moves for the sermon. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you please open to Luke 24? If, if you have a device, go to Luke 24. We're in the ESV version if you want to have it perfectly lined up. I would love for you to have a Bible open, though, so you can see what Luke is doing in the scriptures. Well, as you make your way to Luke 24, you might actually just scan back a chapter to remember where we're at in the context. At this point of the story, Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. That's one of his inner 12. He was arrested by religious leaders. He's been denied by Peter, mocked by soldiers. Jesus has been paraded before Pilate and Herod, these heads of the government. And at this point of the story, we, we are imagining that the disciples are feeling helpless and hopeless. They'd put all their eggs in the Jesus basket. They were, they were expecting that Jesus truly was the Savior, the Messiah. And now Jesus had been 
crucified. Look at 2346. Jesus breathes his last on the cross. Jesus really was dead. There is no chance they pulled him off that cross and his heart was still beating. Turns out history records zero times in the thousands and ten thousands of crucifixions that the Romans did, zero times that they pulled a man off the cross and he was accidentally still alive. That didn't happen. Look at verse 53. They wrapped his body in a shroud, laid it in a tomb. He was buried. Look at 2355. The women who had come with him followed him. They saw the tomb where his body was laid. And of course, they were following the body to see what tomb they were going to put him in because they wanted to anoint his body with spices and ointments. So they made a note he's in that tomb. We can't do it right now. We can't do it tomorrow. That would have been the Sabbath, so they had to wait till the first day of the week, Sunday. So early on a Sunday morning, those ladies were up at dawn. Look at 24, verse 1. They'd gathered the spices. They had their ointments. And they're walking to the tomb as the sun is slowly coming up. But as they got to the tomb, a most curious and perplexing problem. The stone that you would have rolled in front of the tomb to protect that body from wild animals, the stone that would have also protected those walking by from the smell of a dead body, the stone wasn't in a closed position. The stone had been moved, tombs open. Oh dear. Words of Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. Oh dear, 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 dear. <laughs> I confess, had I been there with those ladies, I would have said, we got to go home. So that's going to freak me out, peek on in there. But not those ladies. Those ladies, they were loyal and they were fearless. And they poke their head in the tomb. Notice there ain't no men there. Oh, Jesus had all these men follow him. He had the 12 disciples. They hiding out. They didn't have the guts that these ladies did. They're afraid. But these loyal ladies poking their head in the tomb and they didn't see a body. Body's gone. I'd just have fainted if I was around them. They didn't see a body, but you want to know what they did see? Look at verse 4. Let me read this out loud. Follow along with me. Verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, that the tomb's open, there ain't no body of Jesus, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. I read that to be angels, even though Luke doesn't technically use that word. I think that's what we're supposed to understand. Five, and the ladies were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. And these two men in dazzling apparel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? 
Well, I would have thought if I was there, because the dead, the dead stay where the dead are put. That's what, that's what I was thinking. See, see, that's what I was thinking this whole time, is that when you got a dead body, that, that when you come back a few days later, it's still there. That, that's my explanation, Mr. Angel, sir. But that's a good question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. That word remember there, that's real, real important. If, if you've got a pencil, you're taking notes, would you just circle that in your Bible? If you're looking on a device and you try to circle it, it won't work very good for you later today, but remember, that's an important word. If you're using one of our Bibles, you go ahead and circle it because they need to know that next week. That's an important one right there. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee 7 that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. This phrase, he is risen, he is not here. This phrase is crucial to Christianity. For anybody in here who just has no clue what Christianity rises or stands on, this phrase I learned in preparation for this sermon, that, that it is one of the earliest creeds in all of Christianity. Perhaps the earliest creed, that's a fancy word for a belief statement, something that separates the world from Christians would be, and if you're curious, am I a Christian pastor? How would I know? Well, question, do you believe that he is risen? Jesus is risen. I love the way Sproul puts it. He, he writes, there really is a sense in which all of Christianity, it stands or falls on the truthfulness of that message, he has risen. Christians believe Jesus is risen. But to the situation at hand, here are these brave women, and do you notice they are ever so gently being criticized? I mean, that's what the angels are doing. They're gently criticizing the ladies because the ladies, of course, had forgot. The ladies forgot. Now, look, I'm not down on the ladies because at least they're at the tomb. Again, where are the fellas at? They're MIA. But, but the ladies had forgotten. See, if, if you were with us on our Good Friday service, it was just so phenomenal, a couple days ago, we walked through some of the ways that Jesus had announced that he was going to die and be resurrected. And one of the, one of the most important passages is Luke 9.22. I put it up on the screen for you here. When Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes. Son of Man must be killed and on the third day be raised. See, See, Jesus told them in Galilee, this is going to happen. A little bit later in the book of Luke, Jesus actually says, let these words of my coming death sink into your ears. Let them sink into your ears. You, you disciples, you followers, you've got to know this. But the ladies forgot. Ladies forgot. Which is what so many of us do, right? I mean, so many of us here today, we show up on Easter Sunday, maybe we go about our days, weeks, 
Sometimes we're cracking the Bible. We think, yeah, this is true. This is real. I'm going to orient my life around it. But then the message of Jesus slowly starts to fade into the rearview mirror. And, and other priorities begin to compete for our attention. And, and before we know it, we've, we've, life has happened to us and Jesus is just somewhere in the whirlwind. What Luke's trying to get us to realize here is we've got to remember that there was an empty tomb on a Sunday morning and the dead was no longer there. He's alive. So here, a great gift from those two angels to the loyal and fearless ladies. you got to remember. They needed to remember what Jesus had said. Which, by the way, is very interesting. This is the only gospel that records this idea that you need to remember what Jesus said. Matthew, Mark, John, they don't get it. This is unique to Luke because... Remembering what Jesus said is so crucial in his message. And then verse 8, which is, if you're curious, the most important verse in this whole passage. Which is this, what's the central verse, Pastor? It's 8. Look what it says. And they remembered his words. They remembered. Oh, yeah. Now that you mention it, I do remember we were in Galilee, I had my water bottle. I was standing next to Joanna, and then Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm going to come back to life. I took a drink. I remember the sun, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he really did say that. Oh, yeah. They remembered. Here's, here's what Luke is driving at. And, and what we must never forget, church, without the resurrection, Christianity is like every other world religion out there. I suppose some of you maybe showed up today and you're convinced that Christianity and Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and take a list of whatever other world religions you want, your sense is ah, it's all climbing the same mountain. It's just different ways to get to the top where God is and it's all good and it's all fine. What I'm telling you is that's a lie. Man, if you don't get anything else, get this. All world religions have functionally the same belief. And if Jesus is still dead, this is all we have as well. It's just try or cry. That's every world religion in two words, try. Here's the rules. We've made them up. They're awful. And you've got to obey them perfectly. That's every world religion. P.S. If actually you think that's what Christianity is about, I'm about to blow your mind if you'll come listen with me because that is not Christianity. It's not try. Bless the Lord, it's not trying. We're all failures at trying. Can't do it. But this is every other world religion. Just try. Follow these awful rules. Be perfect at it. Never make a mistake. So that someday when you get after death, you'll be able to say, look, I was perfect. That's the world religion. It's try. Or it's cry, which is to mean you just have to be sincere. And if you're just sincere enough, then, then God's going to look at you and go, look, I know, I know you suck, but you tried. And you go, yeah, I mean, I, I know I'm awful, but I just, I just cried, man, I tried. That's every world religion. Try or cry. But what Luke is showing us is, based on these words, it's not about try or cry. Rather, it's faith that Christ 
rose from the dead just like he said. We got to remember that. So I'm trying to tell you guys, we got to remember Jesus' words. I got to remember Jesus' words. You need to remember Jesus' words. We keep gathering every Sunday because we always forget. We go to sleep, we wake up the next day, we forget. So we got to remember Jesus really is who he says he is. He really did what he promised to do. That's Luke's first movement, verses 1 to 8. With that settled, move with me to the second move Luke makes, verses 9 to 12. Share Jesus' resurrection. Look with me back in the scriptures. Verse 9, having had this awesome interaction, having been reminded by the angels about what Jesus had said in Galilee, the ladies share this life-changing paradigm news with the eleven. Wait, why is there only 11? I thought there were 12. Well, Judas decided he could never be forgiven, I guess, and he decided to commit suicide. So he's gone. There's only 11 of them left. So get this, the three ladies, they go to wherever those men are hiding out, and they share the message they had just heard at the tomb. But a surprise, look in the text. They don't get the response They were expecting. Verse 11, but these words seemed to the guys an idle tale, and they did not believe them. That word idle tale, in the original language, it's it's a word you would use for a person who's so sick that they're just mumbling nonsense. If somebody has a high fever, and I I don't think I've done this, or at least I don't remember, you have a high fever and you're you're just talking gibberish, That's what the men accuse the women of. I mean, frankly, it's something like this. Oh, God bless you, hysterical ladies. You really wanted Jesus to be who he said he was, and you're just, you're so emotional. Basically, we're doctors now, and we know you've got a fever, so just go back to bed. Go back to bed till you calm down and you can speak sense. I guess it's not quite fair to say that all of them felt that way because there was one exception. Verse 12, it's Peter. Look at Peter. He heard this unbelievable news from the ladies and he had enough sense in him to at least go check out the tomb. There was enough of a hint of something inside of Peter that he thought, what if? What if? And he returns marveling at what had happened. I like the way one commentator puts Peter's response. It said, Peter was aware something significant had happened. Now, if you've got your Bible open, you realize there's more before the end of Luke happens. But this is where we're going to end our time today. And I want you to notice from Luke's account that once the women remembered what Jesus said, and, and get this, church, this is so important. Once they remembered the words from Jesus, they knew they had to share it. That's the relationship. They remembered it, and they thought, we got to go tell some people. we got to go tell the 11. But why, church, friend, why would these women take that risk? Because remember, contextually, 
that these women, their, their testimony would not stand up in court. Like, if just a few moments ago, when I was explaining how condescending the eleven were talking to the ladies, you're, you're hysterical, you have an idle tale, take a nap, you'll feel better afterwards. That was actually culturally appropriate. I know we hate it today, but that is what it was thought of a couple thousand years ago. In fact, these women, had they seen some brutal crime, their testimony would not have been allowed in court because culturally they were not significant enough or reliable enough. A woman couldn't testify in court. And so why would these women take this great risk to go tell the men about the resurrection. Do you know why? Some of you are sharp enough, you've already connected the dots. Here it is. It's because, my conclusion, they thought to themselves, if we can just get those guys to remember, then they'll believe like us. Because, because the ladies remembered and they remembered, Jesus was in Galilee, I was standing next to Joanna, I had my water bottle, the sun was here. The ladies remembered, and they would have known the men were there too. See, in Luke 9, when Jesus makes this promise, all of them are right there. And so they must have been thinking, okay, we got to go tell those guys. Because once the, once the lights come on for those guys, because they've forgotten too, once they remember, they're going to go, oh yeah, Oh, yeah, Jesus told us he was going to do this. So now it all makes sense. Here then we see these women being the very first people to share the resurrection news. The first heralds of the gospel. The first proclaimers. They're evangelists telling the disciples Jesus is risen. Thank you, Lord, for these fearless and loyal ladies. For, of course, the empty tomb was no conspiracy theory. It's really true. They believed it. They remembered Jesus' prediction, and then they shared it. Here then, having walked through our text, let's finish with application. I want to take what we've just seen from Luke, and I want to try to press it into our lives in three ways or for three different types of people. To begin with, I want to talk to those of you who are seeking. Perhaps you walked in here because you're obligated. Mom said, you got to come to church with me, and you said, fine. <laughs> Some of you are kids. You tried to talk them out of coming to church on Easter Sunday, and you lose that because you're eight. You're here. Whatever the case is, you're here, you've walked in, and, and, and if you're honest, you're skeptical about this whole thing, and that response of the 11, when the ladies went and told them and they thought it was an idle tale, if you're honest, you actually think, that's pretty reasonable actually, bud. Because once again, you guys are talking about a dead corpse coming back to life. And I'm pretty sure that they proved in science that that's impossible. To so trust the science, right? For those who are skeptical... I, I wish that you would like, just give me a minute here and, and lean in because I promise that I am not delirious with fever. And those of us who identify as Christians, we are not crazy. 
we have not suspended our rational thinking to be gullible and believe this. Instead, we've actually tried to use our brain. Christianity is a thinking religion. We, and, and if you're here and you're like, oh my gosh, you guys are fools, I'd say maybe you're not thinking hard enough because what we've done is we've considered the people who were there. We're considering the eyewitness accounts and you can read the eyewitness accounts for yourself. They're right here and the, the reliability of these accounts is greater than the authorship of Shakespeare for all his plays. We're, these people really were there. We've read their accounts and we've taken in the data to conclude there really must be something to this Jesus thing. Because in case you forgot, Mr. or Miss Mrs. Skeptic, Jesus was a penniless preacher with a handful of followers who died with nothing, was put in somebody else's tomb, and here we are 2,000 years later, and he still is the most important man in the history of our civilization. So how do you explain that if he's not come back to life? How do you explain a bunch of people who said, you can kill me, I still know he's alive? Why would they do that? What I'm trying to get you to do is move one step. Perhaps you would move from the 11 in the room who thought, you ladies are so hysterical, and you would take one step and become more like Peter who would go, I'll check it out. At least I'll check it out. And so here's my ask from you. Would you answer the question, who is Jesus? And I want to ask you for something. I want to ask you for five minutes this afternoon. Five minutes, you and a Bible. And if you would say, pastor said to give him five minutes, Pray this prayer. I really want to know who you are, Jesus. And then finish Luke 24. Like, get a Bible out, find it on a device. Turns out the Bible's all over the internet, and go ahead and read chapter 24. And then consider, who really are you? Maybe you want to look at Luke 9. That's extra credit. You don't have to. But if you're here, I'm asking you to take... Have you seen enough? Have you seen enough from the history of the world, this text today, perhaps some of the friends and family you have who are Christian, have you seen enough to at least take enough time to land the plane on this question, who is Jesus? And here's why I'm asking you for five minutes, because the stakes are just so high. Here's why the stakes are so high. If, if the Bible is true and Jesus really was resurrected and you really have an eternal soul, you have a soul that will live forever, then if this is true, eternity hangs on the balance on who you say Jesus is. Now maybe you say, I don't even believe in that eternal soul stuff. And I'd say, well, it's worth at least five minutes of your time just to double check you may not be wrong on that one. Turns out a five minute investment on eternity, that's gonna pay out for you, I promise. Because you don't wanna get on the other side of this and go, ah, oh, nuts, eternity's true. Ah, phooey. Now I'm asking you, take just a few minutes to do this because the stakes are so high. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you'd have to acknowledge that you've been to a funeral before where you thought in your heart of hearts, this ain't right. Death isn't right. And all the crazy, awful stuff that happens in our world, all that awful crime, all the stuff, all the injustices that seem to never get righted, you've probably thought in your heart, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And, and what the Bible says is there is a coming judgment. Someday, all those people who deserve justice, they're going to find it. And you're going to get justice too. 
and the stakes are so high, eternity's so long, it's worth taking a few minutes. If you're thinking to yourself, I'm not sure where to start, I've given you a suggestion. Read Luke 24. If you want more than that, I have all next week to meet with anybody who wants to talk really about who Jesus is. I'm wide open. Love to talk to you. And look, the stakes are just too high. If, if you moved into a house, if you moved into a house and, and in the basement, It'd be like this. You found an envelope. You moved into a house. It's got a finished basement. You found an envelope next to the stairs. And you opened up the envelope. And inside it, it said, behind this drywall, I have placed $10 million cash. And all you have to do to get that $10 million is you got to just cut a little hole in the drywall, look in, enjoy your $10 million cash. If you got that in your basement tonight, and you thought to yourself, I don't know, man, a $10 hole in my drywall, that's a pretty steep price to consider for $10 million cash. Will you just call me on over? I'd be happy to do it for you, okay? Because it's the kind of situation you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. If you're considering Jesus, you're skeptical, you're seeking, I, I hope you'll see, consider who Jesus really is. For those in here who are struggling, you're here, you, you would say, I do believe in the empty tomb, pastor. I believe in that early Christian creed, he is risen. And, and you're wanting to be surrendered and sold out to Jesus. But, but, but if you're honest, you have so much sin and shame hovering around you. Like, a, like Pigpen from Charlie Brown, who's just dirty all the time. That's how you feel. You just got these luggage carriers of all this guilt that you carry with you, and you feel sidelined. Man, I'm just so sidelined. I'm so messed up. I, I believe it, but I can't imagine God would want to use me. Your next step would be to follow Peter's example from our text and determine if Jesus really can forgive you. Here's, here's what I mean. Luke's entire goal in this gospel is to show us that Jesus really is the Savior who will forgive you of your sins. And you've got a guy like Peter who has done the unthinkable. I mean, there he was just a couple days before saying, yo, Jesus, I know these other punks will deny it, but not me, man, not me. Rawr, I'm Peter. And then there he was. Little teenage girl said, hey, you're with that Jesus guy. And he said, no, I'm not. Peter, I think, was struggling after the resurrection. I wouldn't be surprised if he thought, I'm sidelined, man. I'm done. Jesus can probably use other people, but he's done using me. What I'm trying to tell you is you don't have to wander around in the shame and condemnation of sin. I don't know what sort of sin and shame you brought in here, but whatever it is, there is forgiveness in the name of Jesus. And I don't care how many times you've promised yourself you won't do that anymore. And I don't care how awful your sin past is. In Jesus, his blood really does wash all your sins white as snow. And if the gospel's true and the tomb is empty, you really have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to go live a life that brings glory to God. And if you're in here and you're thinking to yourself, not me, man, I'm too messed up, I'm telling you, there's a long list of people that would be happy to meet with you and share with you how messed up we were, how messed up we are, and yet Christ frees us. So what I want you to do is repent of your sin and actually believe the gospel that we keep talking about. 
Believing the gospel means that you say, I'm going to trust that Christ really did die for my sin. He really did take all my sin, all my shame, all those awful moments that I never want to relive. That has really been washed white as snow. And before the Lord, because of Jesus' death, I am seen as clean and righteous. Go to the tomb, as it were, look inside of it, notice it's empty, and believe the gospel. This is what we are to do. You no longer need to be sidelined by your sin and shame. Head up, shoulders back, you've been forgiven. That's what the gospel promises. Finally, for those here, you're not skeptical about Jesus. You're not feeling like you're just suffering from sin and shame. If you're honest, you go, man, I'm sold out. I'm all in. I'm trying to obey him in every single way. Your next step is to share Jesus with others. Like these ladies who wanted their friends to remember. Go tell a friend about Jesus. Oh, but pastor, you don't know how intimidating that's going to be. That, that feels really scary. Well, how do you think these ladies felt? Living 2,000 years ago in a culture that wouldn't even listen to them in court. And, and notice who these ladies are going to go talk to. It ain't nobody. It's the disciples. I mean, if you've ever thought to yourself, well, I don't know if I could share Jesus because they may have some questions. They may have some Old Testament theology that I'm not quite sure how to parse through. Hello, these ladies are talking to the foundation of the early church. And they just go. And had any of the guys said, well, how do you reconcile Malachi 3 with this thing? Or the I don't know, man. The tomb's empty. That's what I know. Share Jesus. And by the way, you will be rejected. If you go share Jesus, people are going to look at you and think, bless your heart. You must have a fever. You should go to bed. Talk to me when you come back into your sane mind. Some people are going to feel that way toward you. But every now and then, there's going to be somebody who says, there's something to this, and i got to go investigate. And bless the Lord, you share Jesus enough, somebody's going to believe. On this Easter Sunday, friends, here's the great challenge before us. Whether you're seeking, whether you're stumbling, whether you're sold out, we got to remember Jesus. we got to remember Jesus' words, keep him top of mind so that we don't wake up one day. We don't wake one, up one day in eternity thinking, oh no, there was something really important I was supposed to orient my life around and I forgot. Let's not be those people. Instead, let's remember Jesus' words. Let's share Jesus' re resurrection. That's a sermon in a sentence today. Happy Easter to all of us. Remember Jesus' words. Share his resurrection. Let me pray. Now, Father, sure tried hard to preach your word, and I pray you would use it in the lives of your people. For those who don't know you, spirit, move and save. For those struggling, I pray they believe the gospel. They'd sense your forgiveness. Lord, for those who are sold out, I pray you'd give them a chance to share Jesus even today, to tell somebody that the tomb's empty. Thank you for the time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.